All right, take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 27, if you would, with me. This is a special opportunity for me. Uh, as I sat in college chapel for I don't know how many years uh, through college and seminary, I dreamed of the opportunity to be in chapel. I remember the first time Weber uh, preached here, and he came up, as, as big Weber does, and kind of lumbers up to the platform, and he says to the fact, he says, you know, I'm kind of surprised I'm preaching in chapel. Oh, boy, what a humble guy. And he says, I expected my first time preaching here would be in Victory Conference. <laughs> and then he said, young men, it's good to dream. And I've never forgotten that, the fact that it is good to dream. And I've dreamed of this opportunity for, for years. I just didn't imagine it would be uh, quite like this. So well, we've got the Himes here and Miss Bernshines here and Dr. Jim on the platform. We've got the audio guys in the back, so we'll see how this goes. I wish I could see you, uh, and I can't. But I'm sure uh, uh, if, if I could see you, we'd have an enjoyable time. But if you take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 27, it's appropriate in this weekend as we have been considering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to consider what does it mean to die? Uh, several weeks ago, actually it was uh, back in December, I had an opportunity to preach in Minnesota at uh, Pastor Stratton's church. And uh, it was a great it was a wonderful weekend. I really enjoyed my time there. And uh, that evening after the services were over, we were sitting around the dinner table talking with them. And then we started talking about some of the old-time preachers of years gone by. And, and so Jesse uh, had mentioned to me about this old podcast called uh, Preach the Bible Podcast. It has a number of different uh, messages on there for some of the old-time greats. So John R. Rice and uh, Harold Seitler. I don't know if you've ever heard the, can God? God can. There's some very good messages on there. One of the messages on there, though, uh, or one of the preachers, I should say, that, uh, that I listened to was Dr. Lee Robertson. Now, I've heard for years much about Lee Robertson, but I'd never heard him preach. And as I began to listen to these messages, uh, these old-time messages by Pastor Lee Robertson, I began to be moved by this one topic. And many people have said he preached all across the Bible with one message, and that was uh, uh, three points. And one of the point, what, points were, have you dined to self? And as I began to listen to these messages, I couldn't help be overwhelmed by the, by the question that we ought to consider this morning. Have you died? Have you died to self? Because we are going to find here this morning that just as Jesus Christ's crucifixion, just as his death was absolutely necessary to the effectiveness and the purpose of his life, so is my death. And so this morning, I want to preach a message entitled, The Necessity of Dying. What does it mean to die? We're in Matthew chapter 27. Uh, for sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want us to look at just several verses here. Uh, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 and 46, the scripture says this, Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jump down to verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And then down to verse 54. Now when the centurion... And they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done. They feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. 
as I read this passage a number of weeks ago, in fact, in my devotions, as I was reading through this, and I began to just be moved by the response of the centurion. You know, from a human perspective, Jesus had lived his life reaching people, touching people, healing people. Many came to follow him. Many came to believe in him. And yet there was many people that even in the lifetime ministry of Jesus, there was many people were never reached. The scribes and Pharisees, uh, in the lifetime of Jesus, in the living ministry, the miracle ministry of Jesus Christ, in his lifetime, they were never reached. But we see a man, this centurion, who had watched some, at least we know of some of the lifetime of Jesus, at least the crucifixion of Jesus. The centurion there is watching what would, to us would be a wonderful life to watch, and he was not moved until the last breath of Jesus Christ who gave up the ghost and at the moment of his death, the centurion was moved. Truly, this was the Son of God. And as I was reading this passage in my devotions, I could not help but be moved by the fact that if Jesus' death was a requirement for some men to be reached, how much more my own and how much more your own? Christ hanging on the cross had lost everything. I read these, path, these verses previously because I want us to understand the full weight of what Jesus experienced on the cross there. He had lost everything. His dignity, his reputation, his friends and defenders, his disciples had scattered. Even his most prized relationship with the Father was temporarily cut off in his dying moments. He was utterly empty and rejected by all. And finally, the work was finished. Finally, everything that he had come to do was complete. History was changed. And now I lost myself in my notes. This is the problem. I shouldn't preach with notes. I've got too many pages here. Okay. And I didn't staple them. Okay, so here we go. Payment was complete. And Jesus Christ now laying, uh, lying there, dying on the cross losing everything, but when he gave his final gasp, history was changed, and everything was changed. And so this morning, I want us to look at uh, Jesus' uh, sacrifice on the cross, his death on the cross as a template for our dying. Let me open in prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Father, this is a spiritual truth, and I have no power in and of myself to communicate this truth unless you, Father, deliver. And so, Lord, as we delve into a topic that all of us desire and maybe none of us completely understand fully at this point, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us and that you would move us. Looking to you, Father, for your liberty, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm not going to pretend that this message uh, is... Um, covers all the facets of dying to self. In fact, I think probably for the rest of my life, I will continually be learning and understanding what it means to die with self, die to self. But I hope that this morning, this message would give you just a facet and understanding and even impress upon you the necessity of your dying. I have four points here this morning that I want to look at. These four points, as I have studied through and just uh, considered the death and the burial of Jesus Christ, these four points I've noticed that they spell out Jesus' uh, uh, death for us. 
how much they are a template for us. First of all, point number one, it was necessary. His death was necessary. If you consider everything that Jesus did, if Jesus had healed the sick, if Jesus had broke bread on the Sea of Galilee, if Jesus had raised Lazarus, but if Jesus had not died... Everything he did in his earthly ministry would have been to no avail. But in fact, the death of Jesus Christ was, if you could say, the highlight of his life. It was the high point. Maybe it wasn't the most glorious as far as painless goes. But in fact, Jesus Christ, as we know, as the old song says, was born to die. Jesus Christ's purpose in coming to this earth was to die. In fact, his death gave validation. It validated all of his claims, all of his miracles, everything that he declared and did on earth. Only his death made that life powerful. If Jesus Christ had never had died on the cross, all we could do is look back at some, uh, some magical person in history. But in fact, Jesus Christ's death was utterly necessary. For everything that he did in his life that was wonderful, his death was even more glorious. And friend, how much for you and me? May I ask you this question? Have you died? When's the last time you died to self? When's the last time the Lord, you allowed the Lord to pull out his skillful scalpel and cut away? When's the last time you laid yourself and your pride and your flesh before the Lord in humility? And let it die. Because just as Jesus' death was necessary, so is yours. You know, I was listening to a message not too long ago about a man. He was talking about, I don't remember if it was on the radio or where it was, but he was talking about all the good things that God has done. And oh boy, we've got a a great big building and it looks real pretty and we've got fancy this and fancy that. And, And he began to talk about all these things about their ministry that truly was quite man explained. In other words, as George Mueller said, if the miracles in your life can be explained by by man, they weren't an act of God. And I want to ask you young people, have you considered that God does not have any freedom, any power to use you if you have not died? And the greatest tragedy for you as a young person and for me as a young person is to go into our ministry life considering that I've been given so many gifts here at Baptist College of Ministry. I've been given so much training. And and the Lord has, has given me a divine gifting. And if I go into my ministry expecting that because of the gifts and because of the uh, things that I have learned that somehow God will be able to use me, friends, I have missed the reality of the necessity of my death. Jesus' death was necessary, and so is yours, and so is mine. Have you died yet? Have you considered the power of your death? Have you considered the necessity of your death? Second of all, I want to ask the question, I want to point out to what, as Jesus was dying there in verses 45 and 46. It says, now it was the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, If you do the math, and of course all of us have gone through New Testament survey, you find out that Jesus hung there for some six hours. Six hours. You know, my my normal work day is right around eight hours. Uh, Recently, uh, my wife and I have been trying to get in some semblance of shape, and so we've been doing these 30-minute workouts. And 
boy, when you're in discomfort, 30 minutes is a long time. And you're looking at that clock counting down. You're like, man, 10 more seconds, 10 more seconds. Oh, boy, five more seconds. Five, Gilbert, stop crying. It's coming. It's coming. We're almost done. And, and those 30 minutes is, can be uh, uh, an agonizing amount of time. And sometimes if you're doing work that isn't too fun, an eight-hour day can be, can be agonizing. Can you imagine six hours of hanging in, 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 in pain and anguish that we don't even understand. And here's what I want to draw out, young people. Jesus Christ's death was necessary, but Jesus Christ's death took time. It was not short, and it was not sweet. In fact, I don't know how many times I have been, in, been confronted with the issue of, Caleb, have you died? And I've recognized, oh God, if I'm going to be used in ministry, oh God, I want to be used in ministry. And Lord, I've, I've read these books. I've read Hessian and I've read Tozer. I've read these, these books and they talk about brokenness. They talk about death. Lord, can't we just get this dying thing over with so we can move on to the real important stuff? And Lord has begun to deal with me and to show me that, Caleb, dying takes time. Are you willing to allow Jesus to do the dying process, to, to take you through a dying process that takes time. It's not instantaneous. You know, my, uh, my brother-in-law and I, we work together painting uh, quite a bit. And uh, when, you, when you spend, I've, I've been painting with, with, with Thomas for close to two years now. And when you spend that much time, eight hours a day with a guy, uh, five days a week, uh, you get to talk about a lot of things. You get to enjoy a lot of things. And uh, painting is not necessarily a, um, a mind-bending job. It's kind of, uh, painting is kind of like uh, once you figure it out, you just paint. And it's not really that complicated. So your mind gets to roam. And, and so that has led to, for my brother-in-law and I to have a lot of conversations and we've had some great conversations. We've talked about doctrine. We've talked about theology. We've talked about uh, music. We've talked about dress. We've talked about church uh, separation. We've talked about Calvinism and dispensation. We've talked about a lot of things. But sometimes, if you do this 40 hours a week for two years, uh, you start to run out of things to talk about. So one afternoon, he and I were, and I can remember it was last fall, we're at this house in the Menominee Falls, a uh, big two-story house. We're on this one side painting and we've run out of things to talk about. So we started asking each other, would you rather questions? And I'm sure some of you have played the game. You know the game, would you rather? And man, they come up with some strange questions in that game. Like, would you rather have hooks for hands or rollerblades for feet? Well, that's not a, that bad of a question. Or, or then they'll say, uh, would you rather have your eyeballs at your ankles or your tongue at your knees? Man, who thinks of these kind of questions? Like, that's the strangest thing. Well, now working for two years painting, I'm starting to realize that's how they come up with these questions. I'm pretty sure the Hasbro brothers were probably painters. So Thomas and I are there working one day, and uh, the would you rather start to fly. And, uh, and like guys, we're talking about manly things. And so the question goes, uh, okay, so if you had to die, would you rather be killed by a rampaging elephant or would you rather be killed by a wild lion? Oh, boy, so you start thinking about that and the tusks of that elephant. Man, those are big tusks on and then a lion. Boy, I don't want to be torn apart. And, and so you start to consider this, and you try to give your best answer. And, okay, would you rather die at the teeth of a rhinoceros, or would you rather die by a boa constrictor? Oh, man, none of those sound that great, and so you're thinking it through. And, and inadvertently, what always happens when that question comes up, and maybe you're even thinking about it right now, is I am thinking about this question. Would I rather die by an elephant or, or a crocodile, a lion. I'm thinking through, what is the most painless and swift of the two? 
because I really don't like agony. Okay, you think about a boa constrictor. Boy, that might take a little while before you uh, suffocate. Uh, a lion, boy. And, and what is it I'm looking for? Swift and painless. Swift and painless. Let it be swift and painless. Lord, uh, if I am going to die to self, can't we just get this over with? Can't this just be swift and painless? Friend, as Jesus hung on the cross for six hours, it was not swift and it was not painless. And friend, so is my dying. And I must ask you, are, are you asking the Lord in your own selfishness or your own, in your own self-preservation, Lord, make it swift and painless? Or would you, as Jesus did, say, Lord, not my will but thine the reason this message for me hits home in so many ways is because I am currently in the process of a, of a dying. And I wish sometimes it would go a lot faster. And sometimes I ask the Lord, Lord, why do I have to die to these things? Why do I have to let these things go? Lord, what are you doing? As Dr. Jim mentioned, we had, we had made the decision. God had led us so clearly to launch out into full-time evangelism. We made uh, the first meeting was December of 2019. The Lord began to fill our schedule. It was looking like uh, for this year, 2020, it was going to be a few weeks out, a few weeks in, a few weeks out. A few, and I was excited about that. I have nothing against painting, but I'm not made to be a painter. That's not my calling in life. In fact, I, I remember one day I'm up on a roof thinking to myself, what am I doing here? I'm called to preach. And, and so this year, 2020, was looking like everything was going to be going great. And, and at Victory Conference, the Lord was just doing things, and I was so excited to start moving forward. And then this coronavirus hits, and cancellation, cancellation, cancellation. And for the foreseeable future, I'm painting and I'm saying, Lord, I, I know this is not just me. This is happening to everybody. But, Lord, what are you doing? And I'm wrestling. And, and frustrations come up over this issue. And, and frustrations come up over that issue. And, and I'm at work and I get angry because someone uh, said something to me that I wish they hadn't. And I get frustrated. And I come home frustrated. And, and I'm wrestling through, Lord, I shouldn't be painting. I should be preaching. That's what I'm made to do. I'm sitting on the couch wrestling with, Lord, what are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm letting you die. Lord, can't this be quick and painless? Can't we just get this over with so I can move to the important stuff? And the Lord said, I'm not going to use you until you're willing to die. Son, the greatest curse I could give you is to let you go into your full-time ministry alive to self. I'm loving you. I'm being gracious to you. And it takes Lord, what are you doing? I remember one night I was preparing for, the, preparing for my evening routine, and I uh, went in to take a shower, and I was cleaning up and getting finished for the night, and, and just my mind is just going. My mind is just going. The Lord begins to speak to me. He says, you know, the way you responded to that person last week. Lord, they deserved it. They crossed me, and so I told them how it was. And the Lord said, boy, that looked a lot like Caleb. That looked a lot like flesh. That's why you're still painting. Lord, but I'm not supposed to be painting. He says, no, you know, you are. That's why I've got you here. Because you need to die. And you know, just like Jesus' conviction, boy, he brings the conviction stinging in, and at the same time, he flows grace and light. And you say, Lord, that's me, and thank you for showing me. 
And friend, you don't have to fear dying. Because Jesus Christ wants to show you through the process of dying his deliverance. And you can know spirit-filled conviction. You can know spirit-filled dying. When the Lord brings the conviction, Caleb, this is who you are. Son, this is who you are. Daughter, this is who you are. And I can deliver you. This is why you're dying, and I'm going to bring you through. This is why you're passing through the valley of the shadow of death, and you don't have to fear evil. And Jesus Christ began to show me, Caleb, this is why I still have you painting. You know, several uh, weeks ago, I was here for it was a Wednesday night, and so they have, still have some security members here. And it was that first Wednesday night where halfway through the live stream gets cut off. And it was kind of strange. I don't know if you were watching it, but uh, it seemed that there was some questions going around, and it seemed that maybe there was someone who had been disgruntled against the church and had done something about filing a complaint against YouTube, and YouTube had closed us down. And halfway through Pastor's Challenge, boom, we're down. And so they get us back up, boom, we're down. And I'm sitting there back there going, man, someone's mad at us. Oh, oh, no, someone, we're doing right. Someone shouldn't be mad at us for doing right. Oh, no. And I had pastor walks out, and I asked him, I said, Pastor, does that throw you? He says, no. No, this happens all the time. He says, you can't let those things bother you. You can't let those things throw you. He said, I, he said remember in Preacher Boy Chapel, I told you, don't be sensitive. I told you, you can't be insecure. And I'm telling you, the moment he said that, see, I struggle in too many areas with insecurity, with sensitivity. And when he said it, it was like the Holy Spirit said, there you go, that's why you're still here. That's why you're still dying, because I've got things for you. I, I am not through with dying, and I, and I trust by God's grace for the rest of my life I will learn, be learning how to die. But friend, you have to understand that just as Jesus hung in agony, separated from all other people who would love him, as he hung in agony, it took time. First of all, it was necessary Second of all, it was agonizing. Third of all, we see from Jesus' crucifixion that it was volitional. Jesus hanging there. The scripture tells us in verse 50 of Matthew chapter 27 that he yielded his spirit. He gave up the ghost. In fact, John chapter 10 verse 18 tells us that Jesus Christ's life was not taken from him. Even as he stands before Pilate, he gives assent to that truth. No man is going to take my life. Pilate, you don't even have the power to take my life. No, Jesus was not killed by anyone. Jesus, as John chapter 10, verse 18 tells us, no man takes my life, I give it. And friend, just like Jesus chose to commend his spirit to God, just as Jesus chose to give his life a ransom, so you, friend, and so I must choose... Lord, I give it. Lord, you can have me. Lord, if it is time for me to die, Lord, I'm willing to die. Dying to self. Friend, if you are still fighting the thought of having to die, there's still a lot more the Lord wants to do. But you will never experience the glory until you choose to die. But you know, it's interesting, oftentimes uh, when we hear a message about dying to self, we think of it in a much more uh, romantic sense than it actually is. We think of dying as, boy, someday 
boy, I'm going to die to self. There's going to be some great tragedy in my life, and I'm going to rise through it victorious, and then God's going to bless my ministry, and things are going to move forward. But as I mentioned, it takes time. But you also know that the dying is painful, and the dying is not as romantic as it seems. You know, for that soldier who is dying on the battlefield, we think of that, oh, man, uh, a little boy often thinks about being a hero and dying on the battlefield and dying for the country and posthumously getting the Medal of Honor. You know, dying is actually a very agonizing thing. For that soldier to lie on the battlefield, he's got a four-inch hole in his chest. There's no soundtracks playing. There's no glory, old glory flying over his body as people kneel and do as him homage. He's lying there, agonizing. Maybe a 20-something-year-old man as he lies there on the battlefields of Gettysburg, recognizing he'll never see his wife and children again, recognizing his bright future is coming to an end, recognizing that every dream and plan and victory that he was hoping to win in his lifetime, walking his daughter down the aisle, being a grandpa someday, it's all coming to an end. And then his body begins to go into spasms as his throat begins to fill with blood and he begins to run out of oxygen and his body goes limp. That's dying. It's not as romantic as it sounds, young people. And we have to recognize that in order to receive the glory that God wants to give and use us, it's not going to be as romantic as it seems. You might have to die to a dream. You might have to die to a relationship. You might have to die to a pastime. You might have to die to a relationship you wanted or you thought was right. When you're laying there on God's battlefield with a four-inch hole that the Lord put in your chest and you're laying there realizing, if I'm going to die, there's going to things that are going to go. But you know, friend, for the saint who was dying on the battlefield of Gettysburg, he could die with a smile on his face. Because passing from life on earth into life in heaven is life to life through death. That's, there's a reason we call it entering glory. You know, for those men who died on earth's battlefields throughout history, there's men who died who didn't know where they were going to go. I remember reading a story of a, a, a bluff that some uh, Confederates were trying to take, and as they surged up the bluff, the Union soldiers were ready and drove them back over the bluff, and they fell some 20, 30 feet to the bottom of that, that gorge there, and two Confederate soldiers are lying there dying, had mortal wounds, and one turns to the other and says, so what happens after this? And the other one says, no clue. The fear, can you imagine, folks, can you imagine the fear of an unsafe person going through physical death? Friends, there is a reason unsafe people fear death. But as a saved person, when I think about my physical death, I'm passing into glory. As, as, Dr., as Pastor uh, Gilmore mentioned last night, if for me to die is glory. I'm going from, from this earth, this worthless earth, earth, to glory with Jesus. And friends, so is our spiritual dying. I am entering, the, the scripture says, Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 24, except a corner we die, except a corner we fall into the earth and die, it bideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth 
the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And friends, you have to understand that until I die, I will never experience glory. And if I die, I will experience glory. Glory in ministry, glory in my devotions, glory in my relationships, glory in my soul winning, glory in ministry, because when I die, I then can see the face of Jesus. And so can other people. Friend, the worst thing for you to do is to go into ministry and go into uh, soul winning and go into the back into the dorm someday and for everybody to see you. But when a person dies physically, he sees the face of Jesus. So when I die spiritually, I'll see the face of Jesus. Death is entering glory. It does not have to be feared. But in fact, Jesus, as he hung there, the scripture says he commended his spirit to God. It's, it's like he said, Lord, I've done the work. It's all yours now. Lord, I've gone through the anguish. It's all yours now. Lord, I'm giving it all over to you, friends. In the dying, you can commend your spirit to God. Lord, it looks like I'm going to have to die to that relationship. Lord, I dreamed about that future. And Lord, if you would desire to take that future, you can take it. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I, I've been holding on to that for too long, but I'm commending my spirit to you. Lord, you can have it. I was reading in a book earlier this week, uh, Embraced by the Cross by Ellie Maxwell. Ellie Maxwell, from what I understand, was the founder of Prairie Bible Institute in Alberta, Canada. Uh, he founded that school in 1922. In 1945, he wrote this book, Embraced by the Cross. Now, it's interesting, I... I uh, purchased this book when I was a freshman or a sophomore off the recommendation of Matt Weber. He was reading it one time, and uh, he said, boy, it's a good book, so I went and bought it. And it sat on my shelf. It sat on my shelf for probably eight years. And it is interesting how the Lord orchestrates certain books, certain messages at certain times just for you. You know, you might have read a book and you think, I don't get it. But Calvary Road, I'm not, I'm not getting it. Uh, um, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, I'm not, I'm not getting it. That's okay. You're not ready for it yet. Try it again in six months. Or, or when you're looking for something to read, you don't want to waste time on the internet watching YouTube in these coronavirus days. You say, Lord, I want to be spiritually encouraged. Lord, direct me to the book that you want me to read. And the Lord often does that. Hey, this, this is what you need for this time. And so I was reading in this book, it's called Embraced by the Cross. And he writes here, and, and I wrote it out uh, in my notes and see if I can, I might have to just turn there. But uh, he writes out in, in this book, he talks about how the cross is a tool of the Lord. And he gives a, uh, um, a poem by Horatius Bonner, and I want to read this poem, and I want you to just listen to these words. It describes a person who is standing on the outskirts watching the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to these words. I see the crowd in Pilate's hall. I mark their wrathful mien, their shouts of crucify a Paul with blasphemy between. And of that shouting multitude, I feel that I am one. And in that din of voices rude, I recognize my own. T'was I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. Around the cross the throng I see, mocking the Savior's groan. Still... My voice, it seems to be, as if I mocked alone. Friends, here's the question I have for you. When you hear about that, when you, when you hit, listen to that poem, Horatius Bonner is trying to communicate the fact that my sin was so ugly, myself 
my pride, my flesh is so ugly and so dirty that it crucified the Christ, Jesus Christ. In fact, my flesh is so filthy, so dirty that it was me who gave the whip across Jesus' back. It was me who drove the spikes. It was me who stuck a spear in him and watched the blood flow. But Maxwell writes this, does such an admission seem to you too dreadful? Do I halt from owning that level of ownership of my sin? But do I dare disown it? He writes and says, the fact Jesus was described as the serpent being lifted up, the reference back to the Old Testament, and he, and he writes about the fact, he says, O fellow believer, the Son of Man is made sin. He's made a curse. He's lifted up like a serpent. A serpent. But, someone asks, why a serpent? Why not a lily or a rose? Something beautiful. But when God would seek to picture the accursed character of sinful self-life, he made no mistake, only the serpent could symbolize the truth. That throws an awful ray of light upon me. It shoots me through and through. I am perfectly photographed, not my sins only, but myself. The unvarnished truth is out. Friend, as I read that poem and as I read what Maxwell has to say, I want to challenge you to consider, do you believe that yourself... Do you believe that your flesh is wicked enough to have crucified Christ? In other words, do you believe when you think about all Jesus had, had died for, do you believe that your sin was bad enough to be crucified? You see, the reason that we don't often embrace dying to self, the reason we don't often embrace dying to my flesh, the reason I don't like dying or the reason I don't do dying is because I don't think it's necessary. See, often I don't think my flesh is that bad. I don't think myself is that ugly. I don't think the inner Caleb is really that bad that it needs to be crucified daily, like Paul says. He says in 1 Corinthians, I die daily. <laughs> We don't often think it's that bad. Well, I know that, I mean, I shouldn't sin. And I know that my flesh could get in the way. But it's not really that bad. I mean, I know theoretically that I need to die to self. I know theoretically that God can't use me unless I die. But, I mean, if it didn't happen for several years, it's not going to like it's going to thwart my ministry or anything. I mean, look at me. I've got skills. I've got ability. I, I, I've got humility, obviously. I don't think my, my flesh is not really that bad. See, that's what we really believe. So the fact that as Horatius Bonner describes himself as the only one mocking Christ, we don't see ourselves as that bad. But until the day it comes when we recognize and embrace, I am that bad. My flesh is that ugly. If you saw the real me, you would see how ugly it is. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? He even recognized, I'm filthy. And friends, I have to ask you, are you resisting dying to self? Have you failed to die to self because you don't think it's that necessary? See, the way that we die to self, we, we look at Jesus' example, we realize it was necessary, it was agonizing, it was volitional. He commended his spirit to God. 
Well, what does that mean? It means embracing death. Friend, it means that I must embrace death. It does not mean that you have to go try to crucify yourself. Maxwell makes it very clear. He says, self can never crucify self. It's not a matter of me saying, oh, I'm so bad, so I'm going to try to be bad, and I'm going I'm to try to crucify myself somehow. No, no, no. Your flesh can never crucify flesh. He says, you must first own the fact, own how wicked I am, reckon that I am wicked, realize I am wicked, and only when I own my wickedness can I then disown it at the cross of Christ. You see, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, and you were united with him, when Jesus died on the cross, he died to your flesh. So in fact, Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross, crucified your flesh. In Jesus, your flesh is crucified. But until you come to the point where you recognize my flesh needs to be crucified, you'll never appreciate the crucifixion. It's like this. Uh, no person can disown a child who doesn't have a child, right? Uh, okay, Walter Snyder. Can you disown your firstborn child at today? Can you disown him? Well, of course you can't because you don't have one. If Dr. Jim came to me and said, uh, Caleb, I just want you to know the Lord put it upon my heart and we paid off your credit card debt. Uh, Dr. Jim, I actually don't even have, I don't have credit, I don't have any credit card debt. Well, I paid it. How did you pay it? I don't have any. Now, uh, credit card debt is bad, so don't have any. <laughs> and I do have a credit card, but it's paid. Anyways, the point being, you can't give away, you can't crucify something you don't think you have. You, the only people that give away things they don't have are liberal politicians, and they, they're good at it. But until you own the fact that you are wicked, you can't come to Jesus for crucifixion. Until you embrace the fact that I am needy, you can't come to the one who heals needs. And friend, we have to ask the Lord to, to reveal to us the depth of our depravity, so that we can then in glorious, uh, in glorious death take it to the cross where the divine work is done and then embrace it. Maxwell writes this. He said, uh, uh, there is abundant hope. I am already grafted into the crucified one, a partaker of the divine nature. The life imparted to me is a crucified life. A life of death to self in its myriad forms. Self can never overcome self. But thank God I am already Christ-possessed. And as I yield all to the crucified one, his mighty death will work out in me an inner crucifixion. And he makes this point. Christ's death only has severing power as we are united with, by faith with it. So here's the point. You say, as Jesus' example of dying. Oh God, I need that. Well, friend, you can't come to the altar and try to crucify yourself. The point is, you come to the Lord Jesus saying, God, oh, oh Father, I believe that you are the crucified one. You have crucified this flesh. You, my flesh is death, dead, and I am going to unite in that by faith. Just like being filled with the Spirit is by faith. It's not a feeling. So being, uh, so crucifixion to the flesh is a decision of faith. It's not a feeling but then all the glory of when God delivers. Once someone asked George Mueller the secret of service, the secret of his service, Mueller, who was not eager to give uh, any kind of gloating report, decided he wished, wished he couldn't answer. 
But instead, they pressed him again, asked, Mr. Mueller, what is the secret of your service? Mr. Mueller replied, there was a day when I died. As he spoke, he bent lower, lower until he almost touched the floor. Continuing, he added, I died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. I died to the world, its approval or its censure. I died to the approval or blame, even of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved to God. Friend, I have to ask you the question, have you died yet? Have you died to flesh? Have you died to self? This is not a message where I want you to come away going, oh, man, I need, I need to somehow die. I don't know how to die. I need to figure out dying. No, 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 friend. It is, it is started with a choice of humility, of coming before God and saying, oh, Heavenly Father, I need to die. I must die. Would you reveal to me, Lord, my flesh so it can be crucified? And friends, as the Lord reveals who you really are, then take it as you own it and bring it before the cross and let the cross crucify it as it already is. Friend, the most frustrating and agonizing life is trying to live up to be someone that you're not. It is, it is, it's, like, it's like trying to build a little tower for a two-year-old toddler. And you can never get the whole tower finished before he comes over and wipes it out again. And it's frustrating. It, friend, how often do we lift up a facade or a create an image that we think we are and we try to live up to it? And we live all of our days trying to pretend we're humble because we want to be humble. Trying to be dead because we want to be dead. Trying to, to be a man of faith because we want to. Trying to look good. Trying to look professional. And we're not. The most freeing thing that you can do is say, that's not who I am. The most freeing thing for you to say is, I am filthy. I am dirty. I am fleshly. Oh, Father, you've destroyed it. Thank you for destroying it. You've crucified it. But until you come in humility and, and say, God, that's who I am, there's going to be no dying. God says he gives grace to the humble, but he cannot give grace to the person who doesn't realize he needs it. It's, it's like you've got a big old blimp filled with grace hanging above your head for the dying process. The Lord might be even taking you through a process right now and you're dying in it. You're thinking, why is this taking so long? Why does it hurt so much? But humility, embracing, pulls the plug on that big barrel of grace. It says, Lord, I need this. Lord, I recognize you're in this. Lord, you're doing something. Lord, I want this. It hurts, but Lord, finish the work. You see, friends, until you die, you will never be glad to say, not I, but Christ. But when you begin to realize how wicked you are, you begin to say, oh God, please, not I, but Christ. And God has the freedom to flow the grace Pour the grace on the humility. Pour grace upon the humble. Friend, Jesus' Jesus's example for dying, it was necessary. It was required for the effectiveness of his mission. And so it is for you and so it is for me. It was agonizing. Sometimes it takes time. Some of you right now might be in the middle of a dying process. 
I don't know all your stories. Some of you might have been uh, praying about a dream that seems to be falling apart. Maybe some of you, your circumstances have been turned upside down. Relations, family, finances, ambitions, dreams you thought God had given you and they seem to all be crumbling. Sometimes it's agonizing. Oh, friend, commend your spirit to God. Choose humility. Embrace. Don't fight the dying process. Embrace it. God, at the end of this death will be glory. Do do it all. Do, Lord, take me to the end of whatever needs to die, Lord, so that I can pass to glory, so that I can see your face, so that others can see your face. Friend, embrace dying. I want to close with this one thought here. I just want to caution you as we finish here. Uh, beware of false deaths. See, like I mentioned before, flesh cannot crucify flesh. And a false death looks like this. I, I fear man. Boy, I recognize I fear man. This is not right. I fear man. So I'm going to live in a confrontational way so that people are upset with me so I get used to being people that are upset with me. It's a false death. I heard of a young man who, who he struggled with perfectionism. Every, it, it, it was an error. It, it was a vice in his life, perfectionism. So what did he do? He decided, I'm going to grow my hair out long. And I'm, I'm not going to trim anything. I'm going to dress like a slob to battle my perfectionism. Friends, that is a false death. That's Catholicism. That, that, that is not the answer. Flesh can never cru crucify flesh. You, some of us are tempted. Oh, see, boy, uh, um, you know, I, I fear the, the, the thoughts of my leadership here at school or whatever. So I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to live the way I think I do. And if they're mad at me, that's good practice for me to get used to criticism. No, 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 friend, don't go out that, don't go out that window. That's, that's a false death. That's not spirit. See, when Jesus brings death, he brings life with it. And the, the true crucifixion is when I take in humility, I take ownership of it and bring it before the Lord and let him do the dying. Friend, have you died? Have you died? You say, I'm not sure if I've died. Are you willing to let Jesus take you through the dying process? It was necessary. It was agonizing, but it was volitional. Embrace it. Can I ask for every head bowed and every eye closed? I know I've gone a little bit long here this morning. Uh, friends, I, 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 don't, I, I don't even understand. Even as I was driving in this morning, I was saying, Lord, I know how to preach this, but I don't even know how to live it yet. But I want it. And friend, I plead with you for the same thing. Some of you right now are in the middle of a dying process. And maybe this morning God has revealed to you, at least in part, why you're there. Embrace it. Don't resist it. But friend, maybe you would say, I'm recognizing that I need to die. There's too much of me. There's too much flesh. There's too much me. I fight with my parents and I, 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 I disregard them. I disrespect them. There's too much me. I don't know how to die, but it needs to die. Friend, embrace it. Bring it before the cross. As the piano plays here in just a moment, I want to invite you. If you're at home, uh, bow your head, get down on your knees, whatever is necessary. But friends, do business with God right now as the piano plays.